Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for being here tonight. I won't keep you long. We've got a um, few questions that came over um, email and uh, just a couple of things I want to discuss. Uh, I want to reiterate that um, the time is now to find properties to wholesale. I talked to a number of cash buyers um, this week and they're asking me, do I have any deals? So they're looking for deals. Um, and they're willing to pay top dollar. Uh, one of my one of my um, agent investors today, um, he called me. He said, I, "You know, I just wholesaled this one property and made sixty two thousand dollars on it. How come you didn't buy it?" And the reason I didn't buy it because the numbers didn't work for me. But there's lots of cash buyers that are buying above the Mayo formula, and so he sold it, sold that deal to one of them. It made $62,000 wholesale um, fee on it. So there's, there's cash buyers that are willing to pay top dollar. And um, I, I want you guys to be part of that game. Uh, good evening. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, let me know that you're here. I, I see a number of people logging on. Let me know that you're here. Um, if you have any questions, put in the chat box. Keith is here. Uh, or put it in the comment section. Got a few questions, not gonna keep you long tonight, um, but it, it's just a really hot market, you guys. Um, pandemic and all, <clears throat> it's a hot market. I do believe that the market is going to get it even hotter after June. I mean, we're, we're thinking that, um, the, you know, um, the moratorium on foreclosures will be lifted. We'll see if that happens in the next few weeks, June 1st. But if so, there's going to be a lot of properties on the market. And so <clears throat> you guys need to be ready for it. Anthony Macy is here. Andre Cooper is here. Sharvita. Um, all of you guys. Adrian, how you guys doing? Adrian, how you doing? You getting any deals, Adrian? Um, you too, Sharvita. How's it going with you? How's it going, you guys? Um, all right, so let me go ahead and tackle a couple things. Um, and again, if you guys have any questions, go ahead and put it in the chat box. Um, building, it, building a team. I got a question about building the team, building the right team, building a dream team. <clears throat> if your goal is um, big enough, you'll need a team in order to achieve that goal. If your dreams are so large, um, You'll, you'll need a team to help you. And so who are the people that you guys have to start putting together to be part of that team? And so I wanna talk a little bit about that. You guys go ahead and put in the, in the comment section, um, who are the team members? Who are the team members that you guys need um, to be part of your team? And I want you guys to take note um, when I when I dream and when I set my big goals, um, after I set my big goals, the first question I ask myself is who can help me achieve these goals? Because I can't do them by myself. The goals are too big. I've got to leverage other people's time and energy um, in order to achieve my goal. So who do you guys need? Who do you guys need to help you, to help you achieve your goal? What, what team 
What type of team do you guys need to put together? Put it in the chat box. Put those things in the chat box. Adrian said he, he's working um, right now. Uh, Charvita just won um, a property at, property at an auction. Let's congratulate Charvita. That's success. That's what we want to hear. Auctions work. Charvita just won a property at, at the auction. Um, so, yes, we need a real estate attorney. You guys write that down. Real estate attorney, a really good real estate agent that can find deals, can run cops for you. Um, an investor title company. We have that here. Uh, within my office, Celebrate Settlements, um, really good. Um, most of them are real estate investors. Um, obviously, I am too. And so Celebrate Settlements, um, they're investor-friendly title company than lenders. You need lenders to get financing. Um, who are some of the other members, you guys? Who are some of the other members you need? <clears throat> um, you need a coach. Absolutely, you need a coach. You don't need a boss. You need a coach. You need somebody that's going to help you um, achieve your goals. Somebody's going to motivate you. A coach or a mentor that's going to steer you in the right direction. I think I told the story last time. You know, I was helping um, an investor who bought a property and didn't have a coach, didn't have a mentor, and that investor is not finished with the project, um, has had the project for at least eight months and probably have already lost about $200,000. No coach, no mentor, first renovation project. You need a coach, you need a mentor. That's right, you guys. You need a coach, you need a mentor. That's one of the biggest things that you need because you wanna make money in this business. It's so easy to lose money. You don't wanna lose money, you wanna make money. I've had people um, all the time, even recently, who've either been in our coaching program or not, say, hey, Greg, I want you to partner with me on this deal. Um, it's a big renovation. Uh, they found the property, put up the cash, but they asked me to come and mentor them through, either through a consulting or a consultant fee, or actually as a partner, as a joint venture partner, where you know I brought my expertise, brought my crew, and we renovated the property, they put up all the money, found the property, and we split the prop, split the project. They could have done this deal on their own, but they wanted to make sure that they were going to make some money. And so um, they brought me along. And so that's what I highly recommend. I had another lady who um, bought a property and she wanted to renovate it and rent out Section 8. She paid me to manage the contract. Um, because she just didn't want to make any mistakes. She said, yeah, I know I'm going to have to spend money to pay you, but I don't want to make any mistakes. And so building that team, you guys, property manager, Ronald said property manager, um, a good general contractor is good. <clears throat> and so you guys need to write these things down and then go about finding architects. You've got to get a good architect. Um, I think we talked about attorneys and CPAs, um, a good real estate agent. We talked about all those all those players, but you guys got to get the players. Um, I, I, you know, I have kind of new venture after new venture. One of my newest ventures now is we're putting an office up in um, Baltimore in Owens Mills, and so I've already signed the lease. Lease officially doesn't start until um, June first, but they've already given me the keys. 
And so I need a team of people. So I've hired contractors to go in there and paint. So they finished painting today. I've already hired an office manager. She's working in my Greenbelt office now so that when the office there is ready, she'll, it'll be a smooth transition moving her there. And I've already um, hired a branch manager to run that branch to help me with you know recruiting and, and training of the agents. I couldn't be, I couldn't do that. I can't be at two places at once. So I needed a team and I'm still adding team members to my Baltimore office, my Owens Mills office. You guys need a team for the business that you're in, um, which is either um, flipping properties, holding properties, um, wholesaling properties or, or a combination. You guys need a team. Um, virtual assistants. Um, you, you guys need virtual assistants to, to do some calling for you. And so um, you need all these types of team members that's going to really help you uh, all along the way. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't want to do everything on my own. I do want to delegate and you've got to be okay with delegating. You can't do everything. But in your real estate investment business, build a powerful team build a powerful team. All right, you guys. Um, I, I also got the question, um, what are the relevant contracts and um, other documents needed? And so what are some of the documents you guys need to run your business? Go ahead and put that in the chat box as well. What are some of the documents, um, different types of contracts? What are some of those that you need? Most of you guys have them all in your um, investor toolkit. And so you should have all the documents, but what are some of the paperwork? What's some of the paperwork that you guys need that you can think off the top of your head that you need? Let's answer this question and, and write it down. You've got to have the paperwork. There's probably not a day that goes by that we get a call, we get an email, we get a text, Greg, I need this form. Um, there's so many today. Um, we need the form. My staff sends out the form um, for you. And so what are these forms? Um, LL, um, you need an LLC. And so let's start there. So you do need to get your LLC. I like that. Um, you also need, so with the LLC, you need an article of incorporation, letting the state know that you're designating this name for your business, but then also you put on articles who the resident agent is, and it's generally you, doesn't have to be, but generally we put our own name, we put our business address, and we put what we're in business to do. Um, this, this company, ABC Home Buyers, is in business to um, buy properties, renovate properties, sell properties. All that goes on um, your, L your articles of incorporation so that you're incorporated in, in that state that you got incorporated in and you're um, incorporated to run business as an LLC, limited liability company. Um, and so that's what an LLC is. And so we need those documents. We also need alongside of those documents, which is not, um, uh, required, but you should have, um, and write this down, an uh, operating agreement. You also need an operating agreement. The operating agreement will stipulate 
who has um, who owns own, who owns the LLC? Um, because the resident agent doesn't necessarily own the LLC. They're just um, in any jurisdiction. So let's say that we're in Maryland. Um, you need a, a Maryland resident with an address to be the resident agent. And so I don't live in Virginia, but I have an LLC in Virginia and I use somebody else, um, a buddy of mine who lives in Virginia. He's my resident agent because he has a Virginia address. But my operating agreement says that I own the company. He's not even on the operating agreement. The operating agreement says that I own the company. The operating agreement also will say um, what percentage of the company that I own, um, all the all the rules and regulations of the op, of the um, business of the LLC, how much money I've contributed to the um, LLC to start it off, um, how the assets will be distributed in case I, I pass away. All those things go into an operating agreement. So you, <clears throat> you should have an operating agreement. Most states it's not required, but I highly recommend, um, along with your articles of incorporation, you need your operating agreement. And you might wanna talk to an attorney. We have a boilerplate um, operating agreement that you can go by. You should have an operating agreement in your um, toolkit, in your investor toolkit that we've put together for you. All right, purchase and sales um, agreement. Andre says you're, you're, that's your contract. That's part of paperwork, your purchase and sales agreement. Master it, master it. You're gonna find yourself this Saturday in a situation where you've gotta get this motivated seller who's motivated to, sell your, to sign your contract you're going to be in a situation where you need that contract and you need them to sign. They're ready. And now you're looking for me. You're looking for Keith. You're looking for other people to help you with the contract. Look, we've done numerous contract classes and maybe we'll do another one. Uh, maybe this month we'll do another contracts class, but know your contracts, practice your contracts. Um, because you're going to be in a situation where you're going to need to use the contract and it's not going to, it's not going to, and you're not going to be able to do it. And you're going to lose the deal. All right. EIN number. You need to get your EIN number. Um, so once you're serious about your business and it looks like you're getting ready to close your first deal, get your EIN number because um, you're going to need to open up a bank account. You can't open up a bank account without an EIN number. So get your EIN number. You already have your articles of incorporation by then. Um, so get your EIN number and so that um, you can open up a bank account. But more importantly, you're gonna, when you start making money, you're going to have to file taxes. You're gonna have to file taxes with your EIN number. All right. Um, Let's say, uh, let's see, um, subject to contracts and assignment of contract. So assignment contracts to go along with your purchase and sales agreement. If you're a wholesaler, you need assignment contract. Um, Hatman says you need for creative financing, creative financing, a subject to contract. I have subject to contracts. Uh, let's see, assignment contract for wholesaling. So uh, you guys said um, all of those things. All right. So what else? What else do we need? Um, 
Independent contractors agreement for your contractors. Do not let your contractors work on a property without the independent contractors agreement. Let them sign that and hold them to that. You want to put in there how much money you're paying them. And if there's a draw schedule, put, okay, the, 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 um, the budget on the property is 90,000. I'm going to pay you $30,000 after the first draw. And the first draw is attached. I mean, the, the draw schedule is attached. Then I'm going to pay you another $30,000 after the second draw. And I'm going to pay you the last $30,000 um, when the property is completed. And so those things go on on the independent contractors agreement with your contractor. Um, also, the timeline. And um, if if they don't finish in time, what, what are the consequences? So timeline, how long is it going to take? Is it going to take, you know, six weeks? Is it going to take six months? Whatever that timeline in is, need to, it needs to be stipulated on that independent contractor's agreement. Lien waiver, that's a good one, lien waiver. And so you want to get your contractors to sign a lien waiver before you pay them the draw, which says that, and you want to make sure that, you know, they sign it before you pay them either the final draw or we get them to sign each draw. Before each draw, we get them to sign a lien waiver so they can't put a mechanics lien on the property. And so that's a, that's a, actually, that's a good one. A lien waiver. Um, a workman's comp waiver. That's also a good one. Get them to sign that. Um, to hold you harmless in case anything happens. Um, anything else? Um, there's other financing documents that you guys, if you want to do, for example, owner financing, there's owner financing addendums that talks about the, the, the financing, like how long is it going to be five years that they're going to hold the note? And if so, at what interest rate? And so all of those things um, on the owner financing addendum, um, lease options. Uh, we have, all, again, we have all these things in our um, toolkit, but lease option forms for another form of creative finance. By the way, I, I see that um, uh, one of you guys just subscribed to, to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, you guys. We, we, we try to our best to put out really good content. Um, one of the areas that I see a lot of investors, novice investors, um, some of the some of the mistakes that they make is not knowing the paperwork and missing out on deals because they're not ready. They're not ready. To, you're not ready to win. Like practice the paperwork. Don't let the contracts and the forms intimidate you. Don't let that happen to you. Know the paperwork. You know, I, I kind of promised myself early on that paperwork would never beat me. Paperwork would never beat me. I don't care if I've got to um, stay up all night reading all the documents, all the contracts, getting used to all the creative financing um, contracts, like whatever it is, it's not going to beat me. I'm going to learn them and I'm going to learn these contracts like I know the, like the back of my hand and maybe something else will defeat me, but paperwork will not. And the reason I said that and I convinced myself of that 
is because I, I've seen a lot of investors just get tired of the paperwork and just give up. Like, I'm not going through all that. I'm not signing all that. I'm not reading all those things. Like, that's not going to happen to me. And so I made it a point. And so often what I do is what I deem to be most challenging for myself, I kind of mentally trick myself and say, like purposely say, um, I'm going to be great at this thing. Like whatever's most challenging in my life, I'm, I, I say to myself, I'm going to be great at it. And I work and work and work to perfect it and to be great at it. And just like early in my early 20s, I said, um, I'm going to be great at finding deals. And I knew that at that time, 22, 23 years old, I knew that was going to be the biggest challenge. I mean, I knew back then, but I said to myself, almost like tricking myself, um, I'm going to be great at this thing. And so I put that in my subconscious. So I've, I've been on the grind every single day since then finding deals because I want to be the greatest at finding deals. But because of that mindset, I took that same mindset into selling real estate and did extremely, extremely well selling real estate. Took that same mindset into running the brokerage. No one's going to be able to recruit more agents than me. And I've won numerous awards because I knew it was my biggest challenge. When you're in the real estate brokerage business, it's the three R's, recruiting, retention, and revenue. And so I was going to be great at, at um, recruiting. And so I put together, you know, you know, all these strategies and because I had to convince my, my subconscious that it was the most important thing I had to do to run that business. And I was going to be the best um, at it. And so you've got to be the best at the paperwork. You've got to be the best at finding the deals and you have to be the best at financing your deals. Like how are you going to finance your deals? I think those are really the three areas that are the most challenging for people in real estate investing. Paperwork can be a challenge. Even now I get people asking me to write their contracts for them. Finding the deals can be a challenge. You got to con convince your subconscious that you're going to be great at it, and then and then um, financing, getting lines of building your lines of credit, uh, working on your credit, um, finding um, um, private lenders, finding hard money lenders, um, finding community bankers. Like I told myself, I'm gonna be great at these things. These things are not gonna intimidate me. I'm gonna call, I'm gonna um, interview, I'm gonna meet with these people. Some of them may shun me, some of them may not have time for me, but I'm gonna keep going because I know that financing the deals um, and building your lines of credit, if you can't do that, you will become wealthy, you guys. You will become wealthy. And so I said to myself, I'm going to be great at these things and I'm going to focus on these things. And, and I have. And that's what you have to do. You've got to focus on those things and be great at it. Um, what, one other question that I received is, what are some of the tax consequences of investing? If you guys know, put it put in the chat box for me. I know some of you guys have dealt with like capital gain taxes and um, things like that. And so let's talk for a second about taxes. 
Um, I will tell you that one of my biggest challenges as an entrepreneur, and I'm going to be speaking about entrepreneur entrepreneurship tomorrow, and I actually wrote up my outline. I didn't, I didn't put taxes in there, but I'm going to put it in there. Um, I'll, be, I'll, I'll speak live right here on the YouTube channel um, tomorrow at noon, and I'm going to be talking about um, uh, entrepreneurship. As an entrepreneur, my biggest challenge has been taxes. Like it, my whole career just had issues with taxes. Um, I've been audited. I've been like anything that could happen to you um, in terms of taxes has happened to me. They've kind of, I forget it. What's it called when they reach into your bank account and take some money? Levy? Is that a levy? So whatever that is called, that's happened to me. And so, because I've been an entrepreneur since I was 19, like since I was 19. And so it's happened to me. And, and, and I do think that if you've been in business a long time, long enough, you know, some things are going to happen to you. I don't know if, um, um, Chloe, I wonder if Chloe is on here. Chloe, if you're on here, um, give me a shout out. Let me know that you're here. Chloe's actually a, um, tax attorney. And so she can actually speak to, if she's on here, speak to um, the taxes and what, what needs to happen with your taxes. And so Ronald brought up a good point in all these things I've done, you guys. Um, you want to set up for your cap for your capital gain. When you're flipping a property, that's capital gains. That money is a capital is is taxed as a capital gain. Um, and so you need some strategies to um, really defer the taxes or to build a tax-free retirement. And so I know I'm not going to hit on everything, but um, Ronald brought up a good point, a 1031 exchange. And so a 1031 exchange is a like-kind exchange. Let, let's say I sell a residential property. I flip a residential property. I recently did flip a residential property in Brentwood, Northeast DC and made a largeable, a large amount of money over six figures. And so I've got to pay capital gain taxes on that money at a high, you know, a, a high rate. But if I do, let's say a 1031 exchange and take all that money, all that capital gain and kind of put it aside to a, to an intermediary and then um, I have X amount of days to identify another property. Um, like that's another residential property. Then I have X amount of days to actually purchase the property. I can use all of that money that I just made to put um, towards the new purchase. And I won't have to pay any capital gain taxes on that money right now. The taxes are deferred. The strategy with deferring your taxes is um, there's going to come a time where you're going to want to take out the money, but hopefully that's when you're in a lower, um, is it lower or higher, higher, higher tax bracket where you don't have to pay as much taxes. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, where you don't have to pay as much taxes on the money. And so you want to defer the taxes. Um, solo 401k. So, so that's a 401k. That's simply designed, and all of you guys should look into it, solo, S-O-L-O, 401k, 
to defer taxes. It, it's really meant for uh, people like us, investors, where we can start off the 401k. We can put money in there. <clears throat> it's probably going to be a little more sophisticated than I'm talking than I'm saying, but we can start with money in 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 there. Low, lower tax bracket. Thank you, thank you, Gina. Thank you. I I, I got confused, Gina. Um, but a 1031 exchange. Um, that same money that I just talked about, if I would have bought it, bought that um, property using the money out of my solo 401k, all that money would have come back into my solo 401k, again, tax deferred. Or they have a Roth solo 401k where I could, I could um, pay taxes on the money that the capital gain bring all that money back into my solo 401k, and now I'm creating a tax-free retirement. And so we've got to think about different strategies to, to defer um, the taxes or even pay the taxes on our capital gain. <clears throat> um, there's certain tax benefits um, for being um, a real estate investor. And so there's lots of expenses um, that we can write off. Um, and so it, here's, here's what I want to tell the wholesalers, that when you wholesale a property and you make $30,000 or you make $15,000, that's a taxable event. You've got to pay taxes. That's capital gain taxes. Now, the cash buyer should be giving you um, a W-9 to sign before they even pay you the $30,000 or the $10,000, they should be giving you a W-9 to sign and then a 1099 at the end of the year. Most investors, most cash buyers do not do that. They don't have you sign that. So a wholesaler may think that that money is um, tax-free, but it's not. You want to make sure that you claim that money because you may at a later date either um, get a W-9 or 1099 from that cash um, buyer, or you could get audited. And they're going to say, you got this lump sum of money. Where did it come from? The auditor will. So you make sure you do your due diligence, do your research, but make sure you do everything the right way. Because I've seen a lot of investors, you guys, go out of business um, because they got audited or they owed too much in taxes, couldn't pay it till they're out of business. And so just know that this money that we make as investors um, can be taxed. Um, and if anybody else um, wants to make a comment, um, uh, yeah, Gina's an, Gina, you're an, you're an accountant, I think. Yeah, Gina's an accountant, so Gina knows this stuff. So anything else, Gina, you want to you wanna add, um, feel free. All right, a couple more, couple more questions. I'm going to get you guys out of here. Um, I'm looking for, just a question, I'm looking for a few uh, vacant houses in need of repair in a good neighborhood, but they are all on a busy street. Um, are these still good leads? I'm looking for vacant houses, but they're on busy streets. I guess uh, the answer is, for me, it, it just depends on where, where it is. Because um, 
I don't know that a busy street, especially if it has off street parking in the back. I mean, I've, I've, I've renovated properties on busy streets. Um, some of you guys know I've renovated properties where there's a, a metro rail above ground, retro metro rail um, right in the backyard. And, you know, property so very quick, you know, really quickly. Um, I've purchased burnt houses. I've purchased, uh, there was another property that lender didn't really want to lend to me because it was by a highway. <clears throat> it was right by the highway. And the lender said, no, I had to talk them into it. And, you know, everything was fine. So busy street really doesn't bother me as long as, you know, I'll look to see where the parking is. Does it have off street parking? Um, that kind of thing. Um, and so I think that's the answer to that. Um, let's put Gina's um, comment up as it relates to the taxes. Um, track your expenses. They will offset revenue, um, your revenue, um, lowering your taxes. So that, that's a good point. And that's kind of what's um, kind of helped me survive, to be honest, over the years, o over my career, over my long career, uh, just writing off the expenses. But um, Gina makes a really good point, but it's really a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword in that here's what I've also seen. And I, I, I seen this firsthand with my, one of my real estate agents. She, um, she wrote off so much in the last couple of years that her profit, her revenue was probably less than $15,000. So she just wrote off everything. And she's one of my top real estate agents. She's done some investing as well. She's probably made over two, three hundred thousand dollars every single year for the last two or three years. When her accountant um, gets done with her taxes, she's made little to nothing because she's writing off everything, 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 and she's gotten away with it. Here's the problem now she wants to buy another house, she doesn't qualify because her income is fifteen thousand dollars. And she's just like beside herself. She's in a state of depression. She really wants to um, buy another house, but she can't because she has, she's showing no income. So Gina is right in that we want to track our expenses and we want to write off our expenses against our revenue so we don't have to pay as much taxes. But um, I, I, I would say in, in what I told her, like, just be honest. Just be completely honest. You, um, you do the right thing. You never know when, you, you're, when you're going to have to show um, profit and you're going to want to buy another property or buy something else. Um, pay the taxes. Like, I'm not the person to, to really say that, but you've got to pay the taxes. You just have to. So you, you don't run into a problem where you want to buy an investment property to buy and hold. She wants to buy a property to live in. You can't do it because you've written off everything. You've written off everything. All right. So would I buy um, a, a vacant house in a good neighborhood, but on a busy street? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and so Gina is saying, she's saying, yes, that's an issue. 
So you have to be smart about it. Absolutely. You've got to be smart. You got to think it out and you've got to plan. I think the best strategy is, you know, you want to pay your taxes quarterly. And Dana is saying it takes money to make money. Absolutely. All right. A couple other questions. Um, all right. So it says, um, go over owner, um, owner financing deals and where to find them in the MLS or Craigslist. Go over subject to deals or um, buying um, under land contract. All right. So um, you're not going to find you're not going to find um, seller financing deals in the MLS. There's not a category for it. Um, so people don't put put um, owner financing, lease options, subject tos. They don't put them in the MLS. Um, there's just like there's not even a category to 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 put them in there. So you you find them all off market. You find them talking to motivated sellers. You find them talking motivated sellers into a different strategy in order to sell the property, get them the most money, but also satisfy your needs. And so a hundred percent of you can find you can find lease options on the um, MLS. Um, years and years years ago, there was um, a line for that where you could click on on that. There was a a, a field for that, but now um, but now there's there's no field for lease option. But if it's a rental property, and you see that the days on the market on this rental property let's say is more than 30 days, then so they're primed for a lease option. You can easily call them. You can check the days on the market and say, okay, well, that, and, and if it's in an area where um, you want or looking for some rental properties, you already have some rental properties there, you look in the MLS and it's a property that's been on the market for 30 days, call that homeowner or agent and offer the very first lease option I ever I, I ever did um, many years ago. Let's just say, how many years ago was that? That was about twenty five years ago. I did a lease option. My first lease option. It wasn't on the market as a lease option. It was on the market actually in the MLS as for sale, but it was also on the market for rent. And the seller was like, "I'll take whatever comes first. I offered a combination. I offered a lease option and they took it. A, a lease option for two years. Um, and in the, in the two years, I uh, refinanced and, and paid them off. Um, so you're not gonna find those kinds of properties in the MLS. Um, it says go over subject to deals um, or under land contracts. All right, subject to deals. And so years ago, we did call subject to um, uh, land contracts or land installment contracts. Um, so it's one in the same um, land installment contracts, the same as a subject to. You're buying a property. You guys are interested in this topic because almost every, every meeting that we have, every Q&A, you, you ask about subject twos. And I actually buy a lot of properties subject to the existing mortgage, meaning um, I find a distressed homeowner who's motivated to sell. 
And instead of me paying, buying off financing and paying off their um, mortgage, I keep the mortgage on the property, bring the mortgage current if it's behind, and then make the payments until I renovate the property and then sell it. And I get them to sign um, a subject to contract. Um, years ago, I actually did a subject to, I kept the mortgage on the property, closed on it, owned the property. Property was in like the Silver Spring area, area called Olney, and actually rented it out for two years and then paid off the mortgage. Um, the pros and cons of a subject to, the biggest pro and the reason why I try to do those more than any other deal, even trying to buy a property the traditional way, is because you just save, number one, you save so much money on not having to go get your own financing. You keep that financing that's on the property. Um, so you, you, you save there and not having to pay finance charges, uh, but you also save because you don't have to go through two separate um, closings. Closing when you purchase the property and, a close, and, a, and another closing when you sell the property. You're just going through one closing when you actually sell the property. Um, there's really no cons. The only con I can think of is I have seen a lot of investors do a subject too, but get the numbers wrong. You're still running the Mayo formula when you do a subject two. The numbers still have to fit. And so you want to make sure that those numbers fit. Um, but if they work, like a subject two is like your best friend. You'll make more money. I've made more money when I look at my bottom line um, on a subject two than any other because I'm not paying like points and things like that um, to a lender. I'm not paying financing charges. To, um, to a lender, dot prep, and all those kinds of things. But then also, um, um, I'm only paying for, for one setup. I'm only paying for one setup. Um, let's see. Let, let's put this up. Um, Gina's saying another strategy um, is to pay herself a salary. So we're going back to the, to the taxes. Another strategy is to pay her, uh, her salary, um, which is an expense to the company. And her salary um, is her salary for, for personal income versus business income, which will help her on the personal side. A absolutely. So that's a good point. That, that's a good point. So, so what I do is my accountant has me um, as an S-corp, actually. And so I, I pay myself, I'm on a payroll. And so for two of my businesses, I'm on payroll, but I think my accountant has me as an escort um, so that I can show that income like, like Gina is talking about. And so that's a good point. That's absolutely a good point. Um, also, she's saying, Greg, you can talk about Baltimore where homes are boarded up and these um, definitely, uh, these are definitely um, no for investing, right? So in Baltimore, and somebody asked me this, um, I think it was yesterday, that um, these properties in Baltimore, they're 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, but they're, they're on, on blocks or neighborhoods where there's board ups. Don't buy those. I don't buy those. I don't buy where there's um, 
bunch of board ups all around the all around the property across the street next door like even if you're going to rent them out section 8 won't put tenants there because of the neighborhood um, but then also while you're renovating people are coming in breaking into your property stealing whatever the copper i mean they're just stealing they're just breaking in and so appliances they're stealing um if the contractor left tools in there they're stealing those things you know all, all those types of things um so you want to be very very careful in baltimore tori's asking what are the best zip codes so tori i could give you a bunch of zip codes that i like but um the, the reality is in baltimore every zip code is good and I say that because in Baltimore, there's a good part in the zip code and, and a tough part, a war zone um, in every zip code. But I do like 21213, that's Berler Edison. I mean, I think I've named these um, 21218, that's like Waverly and um, Charles Village. Uh, 212. Um, Two nine, which is West Baltimore, um, has some great deals, but also there's a lot of areas there that are kind of tough. Um, I would stay away from um, Harlem Park um, and some of those areas. But there's there's lots of good areas in in Baltimore. You just have to really drive those neighborhoods. Um, I like. Um, on the, uh, I would say Northeast Baltimore. Um, I really like, and I, I own properties in Northeast Baltimore off of um, Northern Parkway. Those are really good areas over there. And so you just have to really look for the nicer neighborhoods. Um, Ronald is asking, how do I find um, Section 8 tenants? All right, so finding Section 8 tenants, you guys, is really easy. And so two, one of two ways. You just either contact a tenant placement company, and there's a ton of tenant placement companies. Uh, and Gina, uh, Patterson Park is really good. Patterson Park is really good. Um, but, Ronald, there's tenant placement um, companies. Um, and if you send me a text message, I, I can have my assistant um, text you the girl that we use, but then, but the better way, the easier way is just contacting, um, um, housing, Baltimore housing or DC housing or Prince George's County housing. Just, just contact housing. I will tell you guys that there's a shortage of landlords. There's going to be even more of a shortage of landlords once the moratorium is lifted and these landlords are going to be selling their properties because they didn't get they they're not getting revenue from their tenants because of covid these tenants are protected by covid um and so there's a moratorium on 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 evictions and but once all that's lifted these landlords are going to be evicting and they're going to be like, I am not going through this again. I am not fixing up this property that they, they tore up. I'm selling these properties as is. 
And so there's going to be even more of a shortage of landlords. Um, but you just contact housing, Baltimore housing, DC housing, just contact them and, and um, they'll direct you to the section eight um, department. Um, and so in terms of the um, foreclosure uh, market, <clears throat> there's foreclosures. I mean, I was looking for some foreclosures to show my platinum coaching students this Saturday, and there are foreclosures. I looked at um, auction.com today. I looked at uh, HubZoo today. I went on the Bright MLS, and just, just um, in the Bright MLS, you can actually there's fields for foreclosures, short sales, and there are some. Obviously, <clears throat> by I'll say fourth quarter, but probably around the end of third quarter of this year, we're going to start to see them come on the market. Because right now, um, you know, they can't foreclose until June 1st. And who knows what's going to happen June 1st? It, you know, President Biden may. Um, extend that moratorium like he did in January, um, but we'll we'll see. Or February, he may have done that. Um, but there, they will be. And I was talking to one of my investors today. Um, there's going to be Gina um, a huge um, inventory of foreclosures of short sales. Um, the conversation I had was my buddy was like, I'm getting ready. I'm saving my cash. I'm stacking my cash. I'm making sure my finances are where I want them to be so that I can be ready for the opportunity. You guys got to get ready for the opportunity. The deal's out here now, but come third quarter, fourth quarter this year, there's going to be an overabundance. And if you are a wholesaler, you're going to make a lot of money. Like we're all going to make a lot of money, whether you're fixing and flipping, buying and holding, wholesaling, but the wholesalers are going to. And so which means you've got to get your marketing out, you guys. You've got to get your. Um, you've got to get your marketing out so that these uh, landlords can find you who are behind. Um, <clears throat> And then just and then also get ready for um, the influx of, of foreclosures. And so Sharvita, she um, she won a property at an auction, and she said it was a short sale. She said her auction property. She's saying my auction property is a short sale. And so she bought a short sale. Sharvita, put in the uh, comment section. Uh, was it on the courthouse steps? Was it Hubzoo? Was it? Um, Ashland Auctions was auction.com. Put in the comment section um, where you found this um, auction property. Let's see. And so um, Baltimore Housing, Dana, they, they cooperate. Um, Dana asked the question, which is a really good question. How does Baltimore Housing do at co cooperating with landlords. And so they 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 need landlords, you guys. They need us. They need landlords. And so they cooperate. Hopefully you get you know, get someone down there with a good attitude. 
but they they need us. There's a shortage. You know, they've told you know some of my investors there's a shortage. Uh, when you have a property, call me directly. And so, um, yeah, they definitely cooperate because there's a long waiting list. I know there's a waiting list in D.C. Huge waiting list in Baltimore, you guys. And so, um, yeah, so Dana, they're, they're prime. They're ready for it. They're waiting on you. Sharvita won her, um, her property on Ashland Auctions. Ashland Auctions. Uh, so you can actually go to um, ashlandauction.com, uh, but that's where she won hers. She said it was in the Bel Air Edison zip code 21213. She said the aft repair value is 380. And let's see. Okay. Um, I also got a question. Oh, she's saying not too many people was bidding um, to the seller has to bring um, money to closing. Okay. All right, good. Um, I did get a question on long distance um, investing. Um, I don't know that I'm the I'm the right person. I I, I believe in long distance investing um, in terms of multifamily, like ten units or more. Um, but in terms of um, wholesaling, I, I've done a little um, long distance wholesaling, fixing and flipping. Not at all. It's just too far. Sometimes I'm flipping properties. I find myself flipping properties in Baltimore and not get up to them as often as I should because, you know, depending on where I'm coming from, it could be 40 minutes to an hour. And so, and I have an assistant whose job it is to go to my properties. And sometimes we just don't get up there because it's just, it's really not that far. Um, it's easier to hold a property there than flip for me. Um, Charvita said her property was in Union Square. Okay. Know where that is. All right, a couple more properties. I didn't think I was going to keep you guys this long. And so the question, another subject two question. Bunch of subject two questions. Can you transfer a deed from a seller to a buyer and not actually record the deed with the subject two? Um, that's a tricky question. Can you record it can, or can you transfer it and not record it? So the answer is no, you can't transfer it and not record it. Nope, 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 nope. You can't do that. All right. Um, if you write a contract for a subject to deal and the owner has been in forbearance for 12 months, when you go to transfer the, the deed over, are you at higher risk? for the due on sale clause to be called. No, that no. So so when you do a subject to deal, the the um the lender can call the loan, which means um they can say, let's say I, I sign a subject to deal with a homeowner tomorrow. If the lender finds out, they can say next week that the full amount, all two hundred thousand dollars is due on the property. Um, and so that's what they're talking about, um, calling the loan or the, or um, instituting a due on, due on sale clause. Um, no, I mean, generally speaking, by the time all of that work happens, 
in terms of um, the due on sale clause or calling the loan, you're in and out. I mean, it takes like a year, honestly, uh, for them to call the loan, six months to a year for them to call the loan. I have never ever in 25, 30 years of investing seen a lender call a loan. And it's only because a lender, honestly, it does, it does stipulate in the paperwork that they can do that, but why would they do that? They don't care if you pay, I pay, Santa Claus pays, the Easter Bunny pays, as long as the bank gets their money, they can care less. And sometimes the bank will know that um, you know, you're in a subject to deal, they just want their money. Like they're not in business to, um, to own property, they're in a business to lend money. Um, there's no problems with them as long as the money is coming in. And so um, them calling the, the um, um, due on sale clause, no, that's not gonna happen. All right, last question, you guys, last question. Um, as a realtor, can you list a wholesale deal um, on the MLS? So the answer is yes. And then assign it to a new buyer and request that buyer slash buyer's agent to use a non-state contract. And so I, I would say, yes, you can do that. I've done that before, but because it's in the MLS and because you're an agent and because you're part of a board, um, the board's probably gonna want you to use the state approved or the board approved contract. And so for me to answer that question correctly, yeah, you should, you should not be using as an agent, first of all, you've got to disclose that you're an agent, but since you put it in the MLS, you've got to use that board approved contract, which in our area is either the MAR contract, the, um, the GCAR contract, and then whatever other board that you're in, their contract. Because you put in the MLS, um, you're gonna, they're going to want you to do that. Yeah, so we, we see that happening. We, we see um, lots of investment properties, wholesale deals in the MLS. And sometimes they'll put in the remarks that this is an assignment, just to let the world know that this is an assignment. Um, you, you can actually do that because once me, the buyer, once I'm under contract with the seller, I have, once I'm under contract, I haven't closed yet, but I'm under contract. I've got equity, what's called equitable title to the property. So legally, I'm part owner. Technically, no, but I do have what's called equitable title. And then sometimes in our investment um, investor contracts, it stipulates in our investor contract that the seller gives us the right to actually market the property. And so it's boilerplate in our contract that we use that as the buyer, we can market the property. So I put properties on the MLS. All right. Um, let's see. Ronald has a property. Uh, question. It says the more property the banks own, the less they can lend. So calling the loan is rare. So, so Ronald is right. I've never seen them call a loan. Like, why would they? Why would they put themselves in that kind of predicament? They, they don't, they don't want to. And then the other thing is, you guys, it costs the bank a minimum of $60,000 to foreclose on you. 
Like, why would they do that? And they have a steady stream of money coming in. And then in three months, six months, the whole loan is going to get paid off. Why would they disturb that? So, so no, I've never seen that. And so I think Gina has the last question, it looks like. Um, do you have an example of subject to paperwork um, and working the numbers? Is there one in the toolkit? There may be one in the toolkit, but I'll... Um, so Gina, I'll um, tomorrow morning, text me and remind me, I'll, I'll send you a copy of one that I've done. That's a Word document that you can edit on, on a subject too. Um, but then again, if you guys actually do one, let me, let me take a look at the paperwork just so that the paperwork is right. Again, as I said it, as I said early on, lots of deals out here, you guys, lots of deals. Um, cash buyers are paying top dollar. Um, I, I gave the, the, the scenario, buddy of mine called me today. He said he wholesaled this deal for 62 and made $62,000. He asked me, how come I didn't buy it? He sent it to a, a couple of other colleagues of ours. They didn't buy it. But this one investor bought it, bought it for top dollar. And as in a wholesaler, I mean, that's all you need is one. But it's because of how hot the market is. Like, I, I put a property, I bought a property recently. Um, I ran the numbers. I did the Mayo formula. I knew what my after repair value was. And it was 600, 600,000 after repair value. By the time I finished the project, I put the property on the market for 640 and actually got 650. So I got $50,000 more in less than six months than I thought I would, would get, but it's only because how hot the market is, how hot the market is. And that was that property again in um, Brentwood, Northeast. Um, investors are paying more. You guys get out here and find properties so that you can get top dollar. I'm paying top dollar. All of my investors are paying top dollar. If you got a wholesale deal, let me know. I'll bet the deal and let's go. Let's 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 get it. You guys should be wholesaling two or three or four or five this year, um, especially after this moratorium is lifted. Let's make some money, you guys. You guys can do it. Charvita just closed on one. How come you can't? No excuses. But you got to be in the game. You got to know where to find the properties. You got to have your finances together. You got to have your team in order. Know the consequences of the capital gain taxes. Um, let's go. Let's go. Let, let's make some money. You guys are here to make some money. You've got to take immediate action. Let's take immediate action. All right, you guys. Um, good section. Good session. Um, hopefully I've answered all of your questions. Hit me up. Um, if I didn't, you guys know how to reach me. Um, here, here's my Instagram. You guys know my Facebook, The Bennett Team. Most of you guys have my email address, uh, thebennettteam at yahoo.com. Um, so you can contact me. Also, subscribe to my uh, YouTube channel. All right, you guys. Let's see. We have one last question. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. All right, Dana. Thanks a lot, Dana. All right, you guys. Let's go. Let's make some money. Let's take some action. Let's get it. Take care, you guys.
God bless, and I'll talk to you soon. Good night.